Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. My name is Peter. I am the host of the show, and I'm running the show alone today. Kim, my wonderful co-host, is not able to join for this episode. I apologize to all of Kim's fans out there, and I know there are many, uh, but you'll have to stick with me today. But I am joined with a friend and colleague, Jonathan Van Maren. He's been on the po podcast before. He is the author of several books, two of which are behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, Seeing is Believing, why Our Culture Must Face the Victims of Abortion, and Patriots, the untold story of Ireland's pro-life movement, among others. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, it's always great to be here. Yeah, it's uh, it's always good to talk to you as well, sir. You, I think, I haven't counted yet. Blaze has been on quite a bit as well, but you are, you're neck and neck with Blaze. I don't know if you're first or second, but uh, for the amount of appearances you've made here on this podcast. So, um, we are always pleased to have you on and, and I know our guests love you as well. Now, um, we are sort of, uh, recording this in February. We're in the planning stages for a lot of the events and the programs that are going to be taking place this year, uh, here over at CCBR. A lot of our programs happen in the summer months that, you know, spring and fall summer because, uh, you know, those just happen to be the months where everyone likes to be outside and active rather than a month like February or January, which is absolutely terrible, which is where we, we're doing the planning and stuff. But as we look forward to what's going to be happening this year at CCBR, I, I thought I'd have you on to talk a little bit about the importance of us as pro-lifers being active uh, this year, 2022. I, I know we often like to say that this year, this election, this moment, this whatever is the most important one in human history. And if you miss it, then then all of uh, civilization is going to crash. I'm not going to say that, uh, but I am going to say that um, like last year, like the year before this year is also important for us as Christians and pro-lifers to be active in the pro-life movement for the babies. Before we get into that, I'd like to look back, Jonathan, on the last two years or so. I don't have to uh, remind anyone what's taken place and transpired over that course of time. But when we look at the pro-life movement's response to the pandemic and the restrictions and the pro-abortion movement's response to the pandemic and the restrictions, I wonder if you could compare them, contrast them, and maybe highlight who did, who had a better response overall. Maybe you can pinpoint different you know, places around the world or North America or whatever it might be. Who did better and what are some things that we can learn from that? Yeah, no, it's actually it's actually really tragic what's happened during the COVID-19 pandemic. First of all, because, the, you know, many people died during the pandemic. But then also there's all these secondary tragedies because the pandemic also revealed a lot of things about our society. One of them is the the Western commitment to abortion as a fundamental good rather than as a failure of human compassion, a failure of human reason, and a failure to recognize our fellow human beings as our neighbors. And so when, when the COVID-19 pandemic hit, we saw abortion uh, announced as an essential service. We saw this announced while they were canceling cancer screenings, while they were canceling all kinds of different surgeries. Um, having your baby killed uh, was so important that those clinics could stay open when everything else was staying closed, right? Churches were being shuttered, abortion clinics were being kept open. And this just is such a clear indication of where we're at in the West. But narrowing it down from sort of the, the broader message that we received from our leaders, you know, worship is, worship is unnecessary, uh, abortion is, is the number of policies that abortion activists have wanted for a very long time uh, that they managed to get implemented during the pandemic. The biggest one for the longest time has been 
uh, either do-it-yourself abortions or, or at-home abortions. Uh, different newspapers use different slang for this. And that is uh, for, for your the Pro-Life Guys listeners will be well aware of what the RU486 pill is, how that works. I know you've had several guests on to explain that. And what we've seen is in the United Kingdom, uh, they basically de facto legalized something that had been illegal before, which was at-home abortions. And this has resulted in a massive spike in the abortion rate there. Abortion activists said, and I believe you mentioned this on the podcast before as well, that this was good news. It was a good thing that there were so many abortions taking place. What they didn't talk about is the fact that there have been several murder investigations open because when people are taking pills at home, they can ignore not only safety protocols, but they can also ignore um, the line at which UK bans abortions, which is 24 weeks. The same thing happened in the United States where a lot of different uh, states brought in what they call in the states telemedicine, which is basically, you know, you do a, you do a, a Zoom call or a Skype call uh, with an abortionist and then, you know, you pop the abortion pills, you, you know, you evict your, your baby into the shower or the toilet or what have you, uh, you flush it and you, you carry on. And that's if you're one of the lucky ones who doesn't end up suffering uh, the horrifying side effects. And so there's a lot of discussion going on right now about whether or not these new policies that were brought in should be kept in. And abortion activists in the U.S. are, of course, fighting tooth and nail to keep these policies in place, specifically because most of them expect Roe v. Wade to fall this June. And as such, they want to have methods uh, of back alley abortions, but in your living room. And so they want to keep these policies in place to ensure that women in states where abortion are restricted can just order abortion pills through the mail and take them that way. And then in places like the UK and several other places, um, they basically just want to keep those policies in place because A, they make a lot of money, and B, you're expanding access to abortion. So though that, I think the main gain that they have made is the expansion of the abortion pill, because with legal restrictions on how you can take the abortion pill removed, they suddenly make abortion hugely more accessible. And there's been a myriad of smaller tragedies. Uh, you have the Dutch government voting to remove the three-day reflection period or waiting period before you could have an abortion. You have the new uh, liberal German government that replaced Angela Merkel's government, um, basically removing their ban on advertising abortions, um, which again was, was it's the first step towards abortion going from actually quite restricted in Germany to, to abortion being on demand. Most recently, we've seen uh, Colombia's constitutional uh, court legalize abortion, another tragedy. Again, the majority of Colombians being pro-life, but um, what, what a lot of abortion activists recognize is that in many countries, you have to convince a handful of politicians or a handful of judges, and you get preemptive uh, rubber stamps on thousands of death sentences uh, in the future. So the abortion activists have done an incredible job while the pro-life movement, of course, has had a much, much more difficult time responding, A, because the pro-life movement's been constantly responding to developing circumstances, which, of course, means that instead of doing just the, the day-to-day work of, of, of making the culture more pro-life, of changing hearts and minds, of saving lives, you're constantly responding to a, a running series of political crises that need a response from pro-lifers. Uh, the, the only bit of really good news... I would would point out from Europe is that Malta, again, for the third or fourth time, has refused decriminalization of abortion. Uh, That's phenomenal. I had the opportunity to interview the president of Malta two years back. No, a year and a half back now. Sorry, pandemic time blurs. And, uh, and he said that he would resign his position as president rather than sign um, a legal abortion into law. 
And then, of course, in the U.S., um, everybody is desperately hoping and praying that the hope on the horizon is that Roe v. Wade finally falls in June, uh, that we'll see trigger bans kick into effect in 15 different states. Uh, and then, of course, we have that unique and very weird law that I know you had explained on the pro-life guys in, in Texas, uh, which has resulted in a 60 percent reduction in the abortion rate, which one of the heads of a Texas Planned Parenthood called devastating just to give you an insight into their psyche. So it's America's always very interesting as an outlier, right? You have the, the most pro-abortion president in American history. Um, the, the most pro-abortion president before him uh, was Barack Obama, under whom he served as vice president. And yet you have just dozens of laws passing constantly, a nonstop barrage of legislation aimed at strangling the abortion industry uh, with red tape. And and there's genuinely a lot of good news on that side of the border, despite the setbacks with the uh, the abortion pill and telemedicine. Yeah, we, uh, it's not a political discussion, but I know there's a lot that can be said about the the structure of the United States uh, government and the power structure and all of that. Um, just on the abortion pill, uh, a case sort of a an example of how abortion is sort of you know the the sort of cultural idol as it were the thing that we look up to and can't do without uh, i had watched an interview where someone took an abortion pill live on television yeah. uh just to to show her support and maybe encourage other people to do it as well um which is particularly devastating we did talk about the abortion pill in the past um episode 43 with allison Santafonte of live action talks about yeah, thank you. About uh, the abortion pill, what it is, where it comes from, what some of the re, uh, sort of medical repercussions are for taking it and all of that. And then the very next episode, episode 44, was with Dr. Matthew Harrison. This is key for pro-life activists. He talks about the abortion pill reversal procedure because the abortion pill is a combination of two pills. You take one, a short time later, you take the next one. But there have been people who have changed their mind after taking the first and, uh, and praise the Lord, there is a procedure able to save a number of those children with uh, the abortion pill reversal procedure. So go check out those episodes. Jonathan, thank you for outlining um, a little bit of those responses. One of the things we've talked about in Canada in the past is that, you know, our American counterparts, I mean, they're passionate about everything, it seems like. You know, you bring an issue on the table and, and, uh, and there's going to be vigorous debates about that. In Canada, the conservative movement, can you call it a movement, uh, has not been so bold and so brave and so outspoken. A lot of times something happens on the federal level, on the provincial level, and most of conservatives, most of the conservative movement just sort of stands by, lets it go, and, uh, and hopes for the best in days to come. Now, something unique that we've been seeing in the last few days, now the trucker convoy is gone right now, but there was an uprising of citizens pushing back against something the government has done and doing so in a, a large organized way, a large organized scale. And a lot of these people, Jonathan, as you know, you've talked to them, you've interviewed them, uh, a few of them, you spent some time with them. A lot of these people include conservatives who see abortion as what it tru truly is, the human rights violation for what it truly is. And these people are activated, they're motivated, they're mobilized, and they're passionate about something, perhaps vocally and perhaps publicly, for the first time in a very long time. Now, why do you think these people should get involved in the abortion issue as well? I, I, I would agree with them that issues of freedom are important. I mean, if we let our freedom go now, we're probably not going to be doing a lot of pro-life activism in five years, 10 years, as, as sort of more restrictions continue on um, in more areas of our lives. 
But looking at the, um, the enormity of the, the movement, looking at the amount of people that are involved, the passion that has overtaken so many, and the desire to fight for what is right and what is true in this particular area, why should these people be thinking about getting involved in the abortion conversation as well? Well, it, it's kind of interesting you bring that up because although I'm, I'm very opposed to to mandates or any other form of coercion, um, I think that it's it's morally repulsive to coerce anybody into something uh, that they have, you know, political objections to, that they have health objections to, or even if they have what I would consider conspiratorial objections to it. You you cannot coerce somebody to do it if they sincerely don't want to do that. But I'll admit that it was hard for me and the, the when the movement kind of started, I mean, pre-convoy, sort of the outpouring you saw on social media, you saw these people suddenly caring about politics, getting active, getting angry. Um, because I remember somebody saying to me, like, isn't it crazy what's happening? And I said, you know, you know, what's even crazier. They killed 300 babies yesterday. And I kind of had to get over my initial resentment of the fact that a lot of people were caring uh, while having ignored not only not only abortion, but, you know, Bill C-6 and C-4, which restricts uh, religious liberty here in Canada and directly targets, um, you know, the ability of, of, of pastors and, and other Christians to minister to those with unwanted same-sex attraction. Most people ignored the expansion uh, of assisted suicide to those with mental illness. Like, there wasn't really an outpouring. That one kind of came and went without much notice, except for social conservative groups um, like the Association for Reform Political Action. And so part of it, I think we have to be very blunt, was because when people found their freedoms personally attacked, um, they suddenly felt motivated to do something. Now, I don't object to that in specificity. Um, what I do object to is the idea that we're going to have this outpouring of passion to defend our own rights while ignoring the fact that others are being robbed of their rights on a day-to-day -day basis. And one of the difficulties the pro-life movement has, I think, is, is to convey the consistency of the, the emergency, right? So one of the things that was really working for the Freedom Convoy and working for the anti-mandate uh, um, protesters and those who opposed mandates, of uh, which, as I mentioned, um, I, I would include myself as one of them, is that there was this sense of urgency that could propel people to specific action at a specific time. And the difficulty is that with abortion, of course, it's, it's an ongoing emergency, right? You, you, each, each day that dawns, there are more abortions scheduled. And each day that dawns, the pro-life movement has a responsibility, you know, to get out there and to, to raise awareness, to try and reach out to these women, to try to get to them in time, to try to get to women before they book appointments at all, to expose the reality of abortion to them. I always compare the difference between first getting involved in a cause uh, and remaining committed over the long term. It's like the difference between dating and marriage, right? When you're dating and it's all new and it's all exciting and, and each new experience is a fresh experience, it's very easy to, to, to remain passionate about it. You know, marriage, it takes harder work because it's every single day you work on the relationship again. And the same thing is true with a lot of, of long running causes, right? When you initially find out what abortion is, and I, I remember very clearly when I first found out what it is, you're horrified, um, you're often angry, you want to do something. Um, but it's very easy for those initial first sentiments to wane as you realize that this is going to go on day after day after day after day. And the natural human instinct is that once, um, once, once what you're experiencing is no longer fresh and new, 
you automatically become less passionate. And that's where the strength of commitment needs to kick in, where you're not doing something just because that day you feel passionate, that day you feel angry, right? Some days you're not going to feel angry at all, but you're, you do it because you know it's the right thing to do and that because you're needed, right? Um, you're a dad. You know that some days, you know, you think being a dad is the coolest thing in the, other, in the world. Some days you try to be a really good dad just because you know that's going to be your job every day now, hopefully for the rest of your life right? Um, and so that's the challenge, I think, that the pro-life movement faces over against the immediacy of these, of these mandate protests. But I, I also think that we, we do need to harness this new energy because perhaps um, the success of, of the Freedom Convoy will allow people to recognize that they are not helpless, right? One of the reasons, I think one of CCBR's great strengths in recruiting is the fact that people um, recognize when they get out in the streets that change is possible, right? This is basically the theme of the, the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Here are arguments and tactics and strategies that you can use to change uh, the hearts and minds of others. And that's why I think participating in the pro-life movement doesn't have to be, oh, here we are again, you know, my, my alarm goes off, the emergency has begun anew, and off to work. It's like, no, you're actually going out there and you're, uh, you're directing traffic at the mouth of health, so to speak. And, uh, and we actually have the opportunity to see to see, to see lives saved. And that's an encouraging thing when you recognize that it's an awful situation, but you did what you could and that you can, you know, you can prayerfully leave the rest of that over. Um, I think that's a, that's a good thing to do. So we do need to find a way of saying, look, um, we've taken great steps to protect freedom in Canada. Uh, the freedom convoy badly damaged, um, Trudeau's popularity. He removed Aaron O'Toole as conservative leader. Um, you know, you saw the mandates lifted in Saskatchewan, in Alberta, in Ontario, in Quebec, and you saw the vax tax get lifted in Quebec as well. So I hope that people recognize that a lot of times people whine about, uh, well, oh, we can't do anything, and, and, and apathy is a cheap excuse for not doing anything. So what I'm hoping is that people see what the Freedom Convoy did, see what just getting out on an overpass and on a highway meant it meant you were one small part of the support that made the convoy a success in the first place and realize that every day good things are done by good people and if you're not one of them that's on you yeah now that is i mean there's a lot of encouragement there and uh and just for the record and and all of the leaders would uh share the sentiment um the trucker convoy had no influence on any of the decisions that were made after the trucker convoy i'm just kidding of course that's what everyone said because no one wants to uh you know, humble themselves uh, in any way uh, to show that any sort of outside force would affect the decisions that they make. Now, one of the discouraging things, though, Jonathan, and, and maybe you can speak to this, you've been in the movement for over a decade now uh, with CCBR and uh, and really fighting abortion, um, you know, all over Canada, but also the United States and, and being active in parts of Europe as well. Um, we recognize that even though there are people who are part of a movement like the trucker convoy, even though there are people who are act, uh, active and angry, as you said, about something that the government's doing, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to get involved in abortion. And the discouraging thing is many of them won't. And I wonder why is that? What is it about the abortion conversation? I know it doesn't affect me personally here in my basement, you over there. Um, it doesn't affect a lot of us personally. Maybe that's one of the reasons. But why don't you think people will get involved in the pro-life movement? 
Well, there's there's uh, there's two two reasons, and the first one, you know, so there's, I'll, I'll point a finger at others, and then I'll point a finger back at ourselves. The first one really is just the reality that people are always instinctively more exercised about their own rights and the rights of others, right? I genuinely saw a lot more people get a lot more pissed off about having to wear a mask into the petrocan than they ever have been about the fact that our country has been murdering babies since 1969, and that's just true. And I, I'll admit that that bothered me. Um, and it got me really irritated. And, and there was a lot of people I know who, who have opposed pro-life activism or kind of, you know, refused to be politically involved. And, and, and I, I couldn't take their new conversion to political activism so seriously because I was like, this is just a bit of a joke. Um, you know, four million dead kids and it, and it took you having to wear a mask to really get you worked up. And I, and I just, I think there's, there, there's something very unsavory about that. But, but the second point would be pointing back at us is we need to do a better job of conveying the urgency of this. That's been very difficult to do with, with talks being restricted to such an extent, right? Because the way CCBR recruits is we put people on the ground in Florida we couldn't go there this year because of border mandates. We get out in front of audiences and we we essentially introduce them to the victims of abortion, right? We show them videos. We show them who the babies are. And that's the reason many of us are involved. Um, I always say it's 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 very important not, not to, to berate people uh, for the same position we held just before we knew about what abortion was, right? We have to give people the opportunity to realize what it is. And so if there's a lot of people out there uh, who were like us before we knew how big of a deal abortion was, um, that it's on us to reach out to them because we're the ones working in the movement. We're the ones um, who are representing the babies and it's, and it's up to us to actually reach them. So it's a combination of uh, our, our inability to reach people during this pandemic it's that's changed. Thank goodness. Like my email inbox is packed. Everybody's holding conferences. Nobody's even bothering to wait to see if the restrictions hold halfway through January at my third pack church. I realized that none of the presentations were legal in the formal sense. Um, but I hadn't even remembered that there was any restrictions on and clearly the organizers hadn't either. I didn't even intentionally, uh, um, um, perpetrate civil disobedience. It just ended up happening. So I am, I'm very optimistic that we can start reaching people in large numbers and another another good thing is that uh, you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, there was all these discussions about how nobody was going to fly anywhere again. Conferences were going to be all on Zoom. Uh, it turns out everybody can get sick of screens. Nobody wants to attend a Zoom conference ever again in their life. Nobody wants to do another Zoom training if they have an in-person option available. And so I think we're going to be getting back to in front of crowds, holding in-person trainings. At time of recording, CCBR is holding a boot camp. It'll be over by the time this airs. But as, at time of recording, you know, know we've got tons of people that are not only out in the streets but but, but packing our trainings and so um hopefully the things that have inhibited our ability to to recruit are, are going to be disappearing i talked to like i talked to a couple weeks ago i was talking to 90 90 people um uh, up at barry's bay when we have people that are, are are coming into our internship from that area so yeah one people need to recognize that fighting for your rights is all well and good i'm very supportive of it i i went up to the convoy to to check it out to interview people to do a bunch of writing on it myself um but there's something more important about fighting for the rights of others and i'm sorry nothing nothing that we've been forced to endure over the last two years bears any resemblance to the horrific and exquisite torture and pain that a preborn child feels before they're suctioned into eternity and that was considered an essential service. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, Jonathan. You mentioned uh, the Florida project that we do. Um, the Abortion Awareness Project takes place every February. That is one project that I think no one should miss. I've been there five or six times now. I'm not sure how many times you've been there. Uh, once as a participant, the rest as a leader. And uh, 
that is a, a phenomenal opportunity to get involved. I was completely green when I got involved. I had done like three days beforehand, pretty much. Um, and, and I had so many conversations, people changed their minds. And you mentioned some other ones as well. There's a, a the program happening right now. So maybe touch a little bit on how can people get active? We're listening to this. Maybe our listeners have shared this with friends, family, colleagues, or, who, or whoever it might be. How can I get involved? Let's say, maybe let's let's split this into two different spots. Okay. Number one, I'm in Canada. Uh, I'm aware of CCBR. I'm somewhere generally located in an area where I can commute to and from, or I can I can travel a little bit and be involved in some of the projects CCBR has, or some of the organizations, other organizations that, that uh, CCBR works with. But uh, you know, what about someone in the United States or Argentina or India or or elsewhere around the world as well? Um, they're probably not going to be flying over for a, a one week training camp here in Canada with our organization, but there still are ways for them to get involved. And so I wonder what, what, what is your advice? How can we get involved? Is it political? Is it educational? Is it pastoral? Where are we going with this? How can we start to think about getting involved? So there's uh, like, those are the, as, as, as most of your listeners will know, the three arms of the pro-life movement, right? And in getting, and, and all three arms always need dedicated volunteers or staffers. If, uh, if you feel called to that, one of the, the encouraging things I think uh, that we should point out is that um, there, are, there is a growing pro-life movement in almost every region in the world. So let's take the example you just gave of Argentina and expand it to all of South America and Latin America. There have been a couple of significant setbacks over the last couple of years. Um, in 2018, of course, um, Argentina Senate upheld their abortion ban in 2020 after massive pressure on a small handful of politicians that flipped. What nobody will talk about, though, is that 4 million people marched against abortion. All right. Like 4 million. Right. That's it's an unbelievable number. I've shown you the videos before. They're some of my favorite videos. I watch them when I'm in a bad mood. It's drone footage of, of, of like of millions of people packing the streets. Um, just just really unbelievable. And so from 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 Chile all the way up to and through Latin America, you have what's called the blue wave movement. And there's groups operating on the ground in almost every single country. So get in touch with them. If you want to be connected with them directly, please email the pro-life guys. We'll supply you with contact information for groups in any of those countries. I've got contacts in at least half a dozen countries. Um, if, if, if you're looking for a country that I don't have contact with, uh, I know the leaders of the blue wave movement who are working to, to essentially create a continent-wide movement to push back against the abortion push, which is the green movement. And so we can absolutely hook you up with regional opportunities to get involved in your own country. Uh, so we, CCBR actually, as, as some of your listeners will know, has actually trained people in, um, in South and Latin America and places like Ecuador, and they're using our images and our apologetics out on the streets. So there's even our, our very specific form of activism going on there. Same thing is true in almost every major European country. And again, there's been setbacks in Europe, but that's been concurrent to a growing movement. I wrote an essay on this, actually, uh, for the European Conservative called Europe's Pro-Life Battlegrounds. You not only have the group uh, Pro-Life Europe, which, which uh, you've had on before, which is now setting up campus groups, you also just have these bigger organizations. Like, if you go to Slovakia, um, um, for example, the March for Life in their capital uh, just pre-pandemic was 55,000 people. Right. This isn't a small former Soviet satellite state. Um, like that's an unbelievable amount of people. The March for Life in Poland's enormous. In Paris, you've got tens of thousands of people marching. So, no matter where you are in the world, there are connections that we can we can help you find. If you're anywhere in the European Union, um, head over to one of us. 
um, one of us. Uh, just spell the whole word out, plug it into your Google bar, you'll find it. Um, and they basically connect with all of these different pro-life uh, groups in all these different European Union countries. I believe that's 28 of them. And if you want to get involved in an organization outside the EU, so let's say Switzerland, they've got a, a Human Life International. I visited their offices in Zug right after I met with uh, Pro-Life uh, Europe in, in Salzburg. Um, so there, there, there are amazing, well, and I guess the UK is not, not part of uh, the EU anymore either. And they've got some phenomenal, uh, groups going on there from, from CBR UK to, to, uh, Brafos to other groups that are, that are working on the ground. So if you want to get involved in Canada, please go to endthekilling.ca or just connect with the pro-life guys directly since it's, uh, hosted by two guys, um, who work for and with CCBR. So you got to check that out. Um, and then in the States, you're, you know, this is, this is where your options, um, where your cup runneth over. There are so many different places that you can work in the States. Um, they've got, they've got, um, political operations on the ground in all 50 States. Um, there are amazing on the ground organizations. If you want to do something similar to what CCBR does, you can work with created equal. Uh, you can work with, uh, um, the pro-life action league, um, which was founded by the late great Joe Scheidler. Um, so many, so many different options. Uh, live action is another one. You mentioned you had had uh, one of their staffers on to interview about the abortion pill. So the, 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 the good news is that if you want to get involved, there are many different groups and that despite the gains, the abortion movement has made over the past two years, uh, the resistance is a wonderful thing to behold. Perfect. Jonathan, thank you so much for that. As you were talking, I was thinking, uh, I was wondering if you'd be open to some rapid fire questions. I know I didn't share this with you beforehand because I didn't think about this beforehand. I thought about it as, as you were discussing, um, just a few rapid fires, short, you know, short questions, short answers sort of thing. You mentioned Roe versus Wade off the top. You think it, there's a likelihood of it being overturned. How likely, I mean, you're a cynic, um, often when it comes to sort of pro-life and politics and, and trusting politicians to do things uh, that align with truth and justice and goodness. Uh, I happen to be one as well. Is pro -life, is Roe versus Wade going to go? Yes or no? Um, I'm going to switch from a no to a yes because uh, the the oral arguments convinced me and three major pro-life figures who said Roe was not going to fall changed their mind after the oral arguments. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to prayerfully say yes. Love it. Okay. Now we've seen responses to that already. Gavin Newsom is making the state of California an abortion sanctuary. Uh, other states like Texas are, you know, and, and Oklahoma perhaps, and some of these others um, are going to do everything they can to restrict abortion as much as possible. Biden made a promise before he became president. He was going to codify Roe into law. Can he do that? Will he do that? Uh, he could have. I don't, he's not going to anymore because the, we're riding up a clock and it looks like we're going to retake Congress in 2022 without him having codified Roe, passed the Equality Act, or packed the court. Uh, when we lost those two Georgia Senate seats, I'm like, it's game over. They have just enough votes to ramrod through the most radical aspects of the LGBT and abortion agenda. Uh, right now, it's looking like, God willing, my cynicism was wrong and, uh, and, and the chaos of the past two years are going to prevent that from happening. Okay, perfect. I uh, I love it. Um, you mentioned Canada, hope uh, for Canada. We often look at the United States as Canadians, and man, we're like, oh, I wish I wish we were out of Texas law, or I wish we had some sort of heartbeat thing, or even like a even like a twenty four week thing um, <laughs> would be wonderful. Um, any progress as as Canadian pro life activists? Where you know is there hope for the movement um, that as we look forward next five ten years? Yeah, well, the interesting thing is going to be who runs for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. 
Um, we've we 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 thankfully offloaded the uh, the apathetic cabbage patch kid that was running the show 15 minutes ago. Aaron O'Toole's gone, um, and now it's going to be a race. Uh, um, we've just got Pierre Polyev, who's uh, who's declared. A lot of libertarians like him because he's a very pro freedom guy. He's also a very pro choice guy, and so he's not my guy at all. And there, uh, a, a strong social conservative candidate has yet to declare him or herself. I'm hearing rumblings that there are at least two very good options that may run. And so then we're presented with this unique opportunity, just as Trudeau's popularity tanks, as, 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 uh, as uh, the Freedom Convoy illustrates the presence of a massive Canadian minority that are willing to get stuff done if challenged. We may have the opportunity to put forward a leader who can shift the paradigm in this country and start pushing back against the wokeness that's been metastasizing around us since 2015. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember an article you wrote when uh, when when uh, Aaron O'Toole became the leader and, and you asked the question, who's worse um, than Andrew? How did you put that uh, about oh, who's worse yeah, than Andrew Shear? Take it away. Yeah, no, <laughs> the question had been uh, Aaron O'Toole is the answer to the question, who could possibly be worse than Andrew Shear? That's right. Yeah. And he he proved himself. Uh, your prophetic voice uh, certainly spoke and won there. Um, if, could you name, yeah, you're a big reader. Could you name yeah. one book that all pro-lifers should pick up and read? Canadian pro-lifers or American pro-lifers? Yeah, that, that's your, that's your, maybe one for each. Maybe, maybe it's different. I'll give you two, uh, I'll give you three for for the states. Um, one is called Abortion Rights R I T E S by Marvin Alasky, which is a history of of how basically America from the colonial period to the early 1990s, um, absolutely essential in understanding the history of abortion. The history of the pro life movement would be Defenders of the Unborn by Dr. Daniel K. Williams, a brilliant book about uh, the history of the U.S. pro life movement prior to Roe v. Wade. Uh, and then there's a very fascinating book that came out last year from Joshua Prager. It's like 500 pounds. You could kill somebody with it. It's called The Family Row. And it's on Norma McCorvey was Jane Roe, Roe v. Wade, and that whole history. But also the history of Dr. Mildred Jefferson, um, one of the first key pro-life leaders. Um, and and the first, uh, the first me- um, um, black female attendee of Harvard's medical school. It's really, really interesting. So I'd advise that. Uh, in this country right now, I would advise Standing on Guard for Thee, The Past, Present, and Future um, of Canada's Religious Right by Michael Wagner. A very, very interesting book. Um, that book, I think, is really, uh, is really powerful in laying out the whole thing. And then, uh, not to toot my own horn, but the point of the culture war was to tie it together a lot of what was going on, also from the Canadian perspective as well. And I do, th- readers have told me it's helpful, so maybe you'll find it helpful as well. Yeah, that's right. The culture war can be found in our merch shop, prolifeguys.com right. slash shop. Uh, you can find it there. Jonathan, not only are you a big reader, you're also a writer. And I, I'd like to quote the Hamilton musical, you write like you're running out of time. Um, several books, a blog that I'll mention in just a moment. Um, are you working on another writing project? You don't have to share if, if you don't want to share, but uh, is there something coming down the pipe that we can look forward to in the, in the near future? Yeah, a few actually. So I just finished the first draft of uh, my biography of, of the of the great Canadian public Christian Ted Byfield. It's called Prairie Lion, The Life and Times of Ted Byfield. Um, uh, he, he, he passed away in, in December. 
um, sadly, at the age of 93. He was an absolute uh, pro-life titan and changed the course of American politics and various or Canadian politics, pardon me, in very significant ways. Actually got thrown off the CBC for beating Henry Morgenthaler in a public argument. So I've been working on that for five years just in my spare time. You know, dozens of hours of interviews and research. Really looking forward uh, uh, to that book finally coming out. So that draft is with multiple different editors, including uh, his son, who's an editor and knows a lot of the stories. So he's going through that. We also have a resource on, on embryo adoption um, that's coming out, um, examining. It's just going to be called The Ethics of Embryo Adoption. That first draft is completed, too. It's a much thinner book. It's roughly the size of, of a guide to discussing assisted suicide, which I co-authored with Blaise Elaine. This one I co-authored uh, with uh, Justina Van Manen, uh, who is the author of Stuck and happens to be my sister. I say that just because otherwise people sound like I'm tooting my family's horn without full disclosure. Uh, and then after that, um, then this one is not completed yet. We're working on a booklet on, uh, on um, abortifacients, all the different forms of contraception and which ones cause abortion, simply because there's lots of good articles out there, but there's no just easily downloadable and available resource. So those are a few projects coming down the pipe. Perfect. I look forward to those. And, and I think those will be helpful for our listeners as well. Mm-hmm. Final question. Why is the bridgehead.ca the place for everyone to go to check up on cultural commentary? Now you can toot your own horn. Take it away. Why is the bridgehead.ca? <laughs> so, so if, if you're American, you have, you have lots of options. Uh, but what I'd say for, for Canadians is, is honestly, it's, 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 it's easy. It's easy not to get cocky when, when lots of people read you. Cause people are like, yeah, no, I think that, that you write some really good social conservative commentary. And the question I always ask is name one other person, who's writing any of it, right? So I'm I'm beating the competition in, in a category of one right now. There are no other blogs or newspapers or publications that are covering uh, social conservative issues consistently. You have lobby groups like, you know, the phenomenal group ARPA, um, which we both care about very much, that produce great papers, great information. But uh, if you're interested in, in understanding Canadian politics from the perspective of a pro-lifer, a social conservative, a Christian, there isn't really any other place to go for this news. All right. Thank you, Jonathan. Jonathan is the host of the Van Maren, Van Maren Show with LifeSite News, uh, that podcast he mentioned earlier on where he had a conversation. Was it the president, vice president of Malta? I mean, that's, president, that's a claim to pre- fame. Pre- president of Malta, yeah. <laughs> the president, good clarification. Uh, claim to fame right there. Um, interesting and a very fascinating interview uh, right there, but also with many other guests as well. Jonathan's a blogger over at thebridgehead.ca. He's written with many other publications as well, but if, uh, if I am correct, all of it fun, uh, does come to thebridgehead.ca as well. So it's sort of a, that's where you can find everything. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking the time and joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, no, it was great to be with you again. Perfect. That was Jonathan Van Maren. He's a colleague of mine at the Canadian Centre for Bioethical Reform. He's a friend. He's a, an author of several books, which we mentioned to or behind me. Uh, the Culture War by Jonathan Van Maren, a guide to discuss discussing assisted suicide and a few others coming down the pipe as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. If you uh, are interested in a conversation like this, and and this is something that you realize, um, abortion is something you realize, you know, we need to do something about. I want to encourage you to share this with your friends, to share it with your family, your colleagues, uh, your classmates, whoever it might be, someone who, um, as Jonathan said, perhaps you know, hasn't had the realization of what abortion is quite like you have. Um, but it's our our goal, our our, our responsibility, as it were, uh, as leaders in the pro-life movement to share our knowledge about what's happening behind closed doors in sanitary hospital rooms by licensed doctors to pre-born boys and girls. 
uh, to get more and more people involved so that more and more babies will be defended and more and more babies will be saved. So share this episode. Um, we also want to encourage you uh, to partner with us, the Pro-Life Guys podcast on Patreon. Become a patron at patreon.com slash prolifeguys, patreon.com slash prolifeguys. Be part of the change. Help us to grow the podcast, produce better episodes, and market the podcast to more and more places throughout in all the corners of the world, as it were. We have listeners everywhere. We're humbled by that, but we want to reach more people and have this pro-life movement continue to grow and grow. Like I said, my name is Peter. You can reach out to us, uh, email at prolifeguys.com, our website, prolifeguys.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter as well. Thank you all for, for tuning in. We hope you tune in again next time.